Hey, and welcome back to Game Talk. I'm your host, Amin Mion, and today I'm joined by Connor. Hi, guys. And Michael. Uh. <laughs> and today, I kind of wanted to do something a little different and sort of reflect on the past decade of gaming. We are now in 2020, which is sort of hard to believe. And 2010 through 2019 was a pretty monumental decade uh, in gaming, I would say. And um, I would I would even go as far as to say that gaming is like almost entirely unrecognizable from a lot of the big things that were happening in 2010 versus what's happening today. So I just kind of wanted to celebrate uh, our past decade in video games and sort of go through our top five uh, games slash gaming experiences of the past decade. So I guess... I'll start off the list with some honorable mentions. Uh, this list was very hard to make, and it took a lot of reflection and consideration to narrow this down to five things. So here's what got the cut for me, and I'll briefly go into each one just to wait. This is give what got reason. cut, or what yeah. made the cut? This is what got cut. So these are my honorable mentions. So first honorable mention, Pokemon Go. Uh, so Pokemon Go was definitely a non-traditional gaming experience but for me the big reason this game is on the list is that one summer when that game came out and the entire world just became enraptured with pokemon like you'd walk outside and see people catching pokemon uh pretty much anywhere and my oh yeah you couldn't if you walked out of a walmart carrying your phone people were gonna tell you where the pokemon was hiding inside walmart like they would just assume yeah, it was. I've I'd never seen anything like that before, and my entire friend group was sort of obsessed with this game as well. And we'd, you know, all form raiding groups and go and fight gyms and catch Pokemon together. And it was honestly really, really memorable. Um, and it's definitely the most non-traditional game I have on my list, but I definitely wanted to give it a shout out because it was a special experience. Uh, another honorable, honorable mention, The Last of Us. Uh, don't really feel like I need to explain myself here, but it really sent it set a benchmark in narrative uh, storytelling in games, in my opinion. And you know, Naughty Dog is sort of just the masters at what they do, and in my opinion, one of the best studios in the world. Uh, another honorable mention: uh, the years of 2017 and 2018. I feel like those two years together were just like an insane one-two punch uh, in which we got some of the best games ever made. You know, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Super Mario Odyssey. We got all sorts of insane PS4 exclusives like Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Spider-Man. And that's just off the top of my head. I just vividly remember that time period as being exceptional for gaming. Let's see. uh, Another one, uh, Journey is um a it was originally released on ps3 uh it was an indie game and it was very brief like under two hour game and uh it really sort of emotionally resonated with me um it's it's all about you know a simple journey to the top of a mountain with a light on it and um a lot of the story if you want to call it that in the game is left up to the interpretation of the player but it's it's filled with beautiful visuals and gorgeous music and very cool use of asynchronous multiplayer that was very uncommon at the time. 
And uh, that's why that's on my list here. Uh, Civilization. Uh, So I guess that includes five and six. I got into Civilization uh, freshman year of college, and it completely sucked me in. And I haven't really played a strategy game like it since. And uh, the ones I have played, I always find myself going back to Civilization. I have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours across Civ 5 and 6. And it really has the ability to eat my time unlike any other game. Yeah, that's that's the kind of game that can stop you from getting your degree. Yeah, it's a miracle I did. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> no, I blame, uh, I blame Gmod for that one. <laughs> so I'm thinking, and I think that's... Yeah, I think those are all of my honorable mentions. So, uh, Connor, do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, I'll, uh, I I got quite a few, um, in no particular order. Uh, Rocket League, uh, the only game that's ever interested me, like, on an esports level, and just a brilliant idea, a good developer, just super clean game, not very complicated, just car soccer. Uh, and I've put hundreds of hours into it. Uh, Near Automata kind of raised the bar on what, like, a AAA game could do for me, narrative-wise. Like, I still just, gotta play that game. Yeah, it, it really, uh, it's not like anything else I've ever played, really. Like, the twists and turns, the, uh, the Sonic Adventure-style storytelling, but done better, like... Seeing you know seeing the game from two different characters' perspectives and those perspectives actually matter instead of seeing the same cutscene a dozen times, uh, just just an amazing game overall. Uh, Shovel Knight kind of raised the bar for all indie games. Uh, Very true. Yeah. Just a just an amazing game. It actually uh, I wasn't into retro games until Shovel Knight, and now you know, so, you know I collect retro games. Like it just made me look back on an entire different age of gaming. Castlevania, Mega Man, all that. And those are, those are some of my favorite games now, and I kind of have Shovel Knight to thank for that. And another good point about Shovel Knight is it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. They keep putting out more content for that game. And well, it's, they, they've released the final major update. They, that was all promised in the Kickstarter, everything they've released so far. Yeah, but I I feel like it's it's had sort of like a presence for most of this decade just because of all the DLC it got. Oh, yeah, know? for sure. I mean, it came out in, what, like 2015 and... DLCs kept it relevant until, like, the end of last year. Yeah. It's really incredible. Uh, so, yeah, that's... And that's just huge for me, because it's, like, a Kickstarter story, and I, you know, had to have one of those uh, mentioned, at least. Yeah. Uh, walking simulators, in general. Uh, beginner's Guide, Life is Strange. Uh, th- uh, I would even include, like, Thomas Was Alone in there, almost. Just games that are all story and very, like, the gameplay is literally just there to keep you engaged, kind of, or to make it feel more personal. Yeah. I, I'm really into those. I like that they kind of wear what they are on their sleeve. Firewatch, that's in there. Well, yeah. I, I really get into those. Yeah, I, I love them, too. And I also really enjoy the fact that they sort of lowered the barrier to entry for mainstream, like, like people who normally wouldn't like video games to like video games. Yeah, I agree. Uh, creation kit games, uh, by that, I mean... And this was kind of new last decade. That's like Little Big Planet, 
one, two, three. I'm pretty sure Little Big Planet one was the 2010s. Now I'm now I'm second guessing myself, but also Mario Maker. Ah, damn. Little bit Little Big Planet one was 2008. Still, they really came into their <laughs> own, you know, in the 2010s with Mario Maker especially. And, like, Dreams, uh, which I guess wasn't technically out until 2020, but uh, the Alpha was available in 2019. Yeah. And that's, and, like, the, the natural conclusion of creation-type games is to make a game engine and put it on the PS4. Well, yeah, I was going to say that Dreams is almost like the evolution of that concept. Yeah, going you know, into so, 2020. Yeah, yeah. excited to so, see what it will do for this decade. Yeah, I agree. And then I got to say Beat Saber. Uh, it's it's just all there. It's just an amazing game, proof of concept for VR. It's a system seller. And virtual reality, while it didn't... It's not really coming to its own in the 2010s. It did start off, and Beat Saber's a pretty good start. Yeah. And I, I do think that if we have one of these in 2030, reflecting on this decade, we'll talk a lot about VR, I think. I agree. I'm willing to make that bet. Uh, yeah, that's it for me for honorable mentions. Okay, Mike, do you have any? Um, um I think my honorable mention, I have one, has to be parkour games. The general, like, death and semi-revival of survival games. Because you had games like Subnautica that came out post that survival game boon with, like, Daisy and everything that were still a survival game, but they threw you in a new place. Yeah, they really figured out how to do it right. Like yeah. it was, it wasn't enough to just make an environment. You had to tell a story, and like, like it wasn't enough to just dump you in the woods anymore. Yeah. And Subnautica kind of evolved through that. That's Subnautica, a, the Long Dark. Yeah. Games where the survival is more of a, oh hey, here's a unique situation. Now you're stuck on a raft, or now you're in the middle of an ocean. Have fun. Yeah, I really want to play Subnautica. That's still kind of like on my list. It's very good. It's very good. Okay. Uh, so if that does it for the honorable mentions, I will kick it off with my number five. And just to be clear here, my list is ordered. So I'm ranking from you know number five to number one. I think Connor and Michael, you guys are doing unordered, right? You're just listing yeah, your, your five in general. Yeah, we'll see if I change my mind, but I think it's going to be unordered. Okay. Yeah, mine's going to be on order, definitely. I'm, I'm a fickle guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very difficult for me to organize these. But actually, the number five spot didn't change. The other the other four slots kept interchanging with each other, but the number five spot... So this is the worst one. Well, you know, it's Definitively. still the worst one of the top five, but it's still, yeah. you know, more yeah, impactful no. to me than all the honorable mentions. Right. But my number five is Minecraft. Um... Minecraft, oh, yeah. for me, um, I got into it senior year of high school, and one of my friends, he set up a Minecraft server, and, you know, at the time, like, none of us really knew or cared about Minecraft, but slowly but surely, he showed it to each of us, and we were just like, hey, this is something really special and fun, and we all joined that server, and I distinctly remember, like, every day after school, for a long time, uh, we'd all just get on the Minecraft server and just hang out and do stuff and build stuff. And it was so much fun. Like, Minecraft to me is, like, tied uh, to, like, unvariably tied to 
that time in my life in high school with those friends. Yeah. And that's why it has that spot on my list. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine you could find somebody that doesn't have, like, an important Minecraft story. Yeah. And, like, still to this day, sometimes I think about that Minecraft server. Because, you know, it probably is inaccessible anymore, even if he spun it up on his laptop. Because, like, I think you have to have all the updates or whatever. Yeah. Um, You can't, you know, play – unless it's, like, some sort of, like, you know, third-party bootleg Minecraft. No, you can return to old updates yeah. of Minecraft. Oh really? That's awesome. Yeah, you can yeah, go all I have, the way um, back. I have all of my friends and mine servers. I've saved the worlds all this time because they're they're too nostalgic for me. I can't throw them away. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I actually the public server I played on uh, for a while. I have they reset their world like once every couple months, and I saved my favorites locally so that I could still hang out in them because they're just. I mean, that was like middle school, high school for me. I think eighth grade going into high school, and like. I, yeah, I couldn't throw that away. That's too meaningful Wait, for me. How did you save a world from a ser- from a community server? Huh? Uh, I knew the guy, and he, oh. uh, he I I don't remember if I asked him for it or if he just posted them, because uh, he you know he didn't want people to be upset that he was resetting the world, so he would just make the world file available at the end. Yeah, but yeah, I still to this day sometimes think that maybe I should reach out to my friend Mason who 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 had the private server and just be like, hey, maybe we could try and spin that back up just. Just for nostalgia's sake, to go back, because, yeah. like, that really sort of, that world, you know, now is sort of like a monument to that time in my life, and that's really why I put that on as number five on my list. Yeah, I feel you. Now I'm feeling a hole in my list not having Minecraft on it, <laughs> oh, but I'm not yeah, going to change it. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no going back now. No. Nah. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure, like, you guys have similar Minecraft stories. Like you said, everyone has to. Oh my god, yeah, I remember when, um, the, uh... The up to, when I started playing it, multiplayer wasn't really functional. You uh, could neither fight enemies nor um, fight other players. Like, there was just no damage. The servers didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember knowing that the update that added damage was coming out and getting together. I was on the server with people I didn't know, but a couple of my friends from school were on there, too. And we stockpiled weapons and stuff, thinking that, like everybody was going to start fighting the moment that violence was a possibility. Like we thought all the other players were going to come after us. So we were stockpiling everything we could thinking it would matter. And then of course, obviously that didn't happen, but all right, Connor, what's your number five and are you ranking or not? Uh, I'm not going to rank. Okay. Uh, my number five, (sighs) it's gotta be undertale. Uh, Undertale just kind of, no game has ever made me feel what Undertale has. And I, I know it's a pretty, like that's, I don't know. It's not a very underground game. <laughs> Everybody knows Undertale. Everybody's played it. And everybody's felt that, you know. Uh, yeah. It's just such a journey. You know, to this day, I've not had the uh, the gall to do a genocide run. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, you actually fall in love with those characters so much. Yeah. And it's crazy to me what he was able to accomplish with such, like, a sort of minimalist style. Yeah, it's 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 minimalist in every way you can imagine. And it's such... And, and I think that just adds to how much of a masterpiece it is. Yeah. You know, he did exactly what he had to do to make that game what it is. And it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not as open-ended as Minecraft. I don't have a story about that game or anything. But, uh, 
Yeah, it's one right. of those games that you can't stop thinking about for a long time. Yeah, and I would definitely put it in, like, the elite. Like, if we were to do a top five indie games of all time, that'd definitely be in that in that echelon. My my top five games of all time and top five indie games of all time would be pretty similar. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. See, that's why I love talking about this kind of stuff, because, you know, we all have such... Like, gaming in general has become so broad. We can all have completely different top five lists, but still understand and respect, you know, each other's choices. Yeah. All right, Mike, what's your number five? My number, These are in no particular order, but I feel like my number five is going to be the revival of 3D platformers. Oh, like yeah. The middle nice. end of the decade. With uh, Ukulele coming through, which uh, I crowdfunded a little. I did, too. <laughs> Um, that was enjoyable. I actually haven't finished it yet. Really? <laughs> don't hate I, me. I feel like they sort of, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it, but I feel like it didn't bring back the same magic as like Banjo. Like, I feel I like they oh, do. No. A, it I could have been better. Because Ukulele in the Impossible Layer is very fun. It's, yeah, it's a, well, it's a different game. It's a 2D platform. Yeah. yeah, it's a totally different game, but it proves that they're not like, it's not incompetence that was the problem with Ukulele. They just didn't get it i don't know i don't know what the problem was i don't know if it was like a team yeah like flow issue or a cooperation issue but i think they could get past it if they tried again you know i think they could make an even better game yeah i certainly feel like they're capable but like what did that nostalgia for me was actually hat in time like when i started up hat in time and just everything felt so familiar yet so different. And I'm really glad that I actually decided to play that game. Yeah, that game is Granted, stellar. I it was play it. this year, but it came out last year, so I'll count it. It didn't <laughs> oh, that's come what... out last year. It came out. Oh, um... It came out the same year as Ukulele. Yeah. And I um I actually played it a little bit before Super Mario Odyssey came out, and I remember playing it and thinking like not being totally convinced that Super Mario Odyssey could be as good as A Hat in Time. Yeah. Like, that that's how good A Hat in Time was to me. I didn't think Nintendo could top them. And then, Nintendo being Nintendo, put out Odyssey, which is one of the greatest 3D platformers ever. Yeah. Just casually, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I really feel like if, if it was ever in question that the 3D platformer was back, even up to that point, with Odyssey, I feel like it's back. You know, yeah, you can't back, have, yeah. like, a game of that quality be that good and not say that the genre is, like, dead. I, I gotta say, though, A Hat in Time does stand tall next to Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, that's what I hear. Gosh, I yeah. need to play it. There's so many games to play and not <laughs> enough time. Let's move on to number four, then. My number four is Persona 4 Golden. So... I really, for the longest time, so this game, I think, came out in 2012 on the Vita, and I only played it, like, in, what, 20, I want to say 2017, 2016, around that time. I'd only ever heard good things about Persona, but I didn't really know anything about it. I knew it was a JRPG, and that was about it. But after, you know, consciously hearing from, like, outlets and things, like, Persona 4, Persona 4, Persona's excellent, I said, you know what, whatever, I think I got it for free, (laughs) <laughs> uh, on PlayStation Plus, or I pay, I, it was either free or I paid like five dollars or something ridiculously low for it. And the instant I played it, I fell in love, like with you know the combat with those characters more than anything. Actually, the characters way over the combat. Like the characters and the story are what drew me into that game so much. And more than anything, that game 
it created a weird sense of like home slash community for me, even though it's a completely single player game. But I think that's just due to how the characters in the story were written. Yeah, and, for sure. And I haven't played Persona 4, but Persona 5 gives me that same feeling. Yeah, and that's a great point. Like, Persona 5 carries those feelings over really well. But for some reason, maybe because I played Persona 4 was my first Persona game, I can't ever in my heart put Persona 5 over Persona 4. Like, Persona 4 to me is, I think, one of the greatest video games ever made. And I think the highest praise I can give it is when I got near the end of the game and you could tell that the story was winding down and I started to feel like I was going to miss my friends, which is a Mm -hmm. really weird and corny thing to say. But I felt that when playing persona because like it, it follows like a high school kid who moves to a new town, you know, doesn't know anyone has to start basically from scratch, making friends and like have a life. And at the end of the game, the kid leaves the town and it really created such like a melancholic feeling for me beating the game like it's a it, the ending's happy don't get me wrong but like it's so bittersweet in knowing that like there was this time in this kid's life where he had formed like these beautiful friendships and you know had this amazing adventure with his friends and like that's gone now and it'll and it'll only live on through like his memory it's it, it all it's almost to me it feels kind of like an amazing trip over the summer you had or something like that when you were a kid and like when it's over you sort of know that like that was perfect but like i don't think i can ever capture that feeling again but i'll always remember it does that make sense oh yeah like that's the Definitely. sort of feeling that game conveyed to me and that's why i put it at number four that's an incredible game or uh, persona is an incredible series it just yeah, have you, I, have I mean, you, Persona 5, I can't stand turn-based combat. Yeah. It bores me to tears, but Persona 5 still was, like, uh, you know, almost on my runner-up list. So, like, that game was at a huge disadvantage with me from the get-go. Yeah, I, I'm curious so to see, good. if you ever decide to play Persona 4, I wonder how you'll feel about it. Because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a big part of why i love persona 4 over persona 5 is because it was my first persona game since persona 5 is your first i wonder if you know your opinion on persona 4 won't be as hot it's just curious to find out you know we'll see yeah all right connor what's your number four um my number four i changed my mind i think mine is going to be ordered okay Uh, so undertale and next has got to be um the legend of zelda breath of the wild Ooh, at number four spicy yeah, I, uh, it just, I can't go back, like, like, going back and playing Skyrim is not an attractive concept to me anymore. After playing Breath of the Wild, like, no open world is appealing to me anymore after seeing how beautifully Nintendo did it in Breath of the Wild. I mean, Breath of the Wild quite literally changed the game, you know? Yeah. Open world games will never be the same after that game. Like, it, it has... Probably more moments that actually, like, took my breath away than any other game in recent memory. And it's also the only game in recent memory that I've, like... I don't know, this is partially just because of the way my life's gone. But I I got to sit down. I was still in college, and it was, like, spring break or something. And I got to sit down and, like, hammer this game out in a week. Like, play a couple hundred hours of it, you know? Yeah. Not a couple hundred hours, but a lot of it, you know? 
just you know finish it and i i hundred you know i guess i can't say 100 percent of it i didn't find all the korok seeds but i found every shrine which is not something i would typically do in a mm-hmm. game yeah you know, I, mean, I bought the you're, deals you're a sane person so you didn't find every seed yeah i found quite a few and, and it's just it's a game i've i mean i've played through it twice one of those times i found all the shrines but it was it was and this isn't something I do very often, but it was so good that I bought it on the Wii U, and then I later bought it again on the Switch because I just wow. it, it was that good. You know, I was willing to pay, and I paid sixty dollars for it both times. See, like I feel like I'm discovering something about myself just you know going through this list with you guys, and Breath of the Wild to me, you know, I fully understand why it would be on anyone's top five list. You know, it's one of the greatest games ever made. We've said that over and over again, and it's true. You know, like. It's 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 a seminal game in history, but for some reason, Breath of the Wild is not on my list. And because, really, and and the reason yeah, I for that, we were gonna have this one in common. The reason for that, I think, is because I can recognize it as a ten out of ten masterpiece game, but it didn't resonate with me. If that makes sense, like I don't know these the past two picks at least on my list had like an impact on my life sort of outside of just being a really good video game and breath of the wild to me was just like a perfect video game but yeah that's that's why it's so you, low you know what on I mean? my list i think is because it didn't it didn't change the way i look at the world you know yeah and but i mean it I is i don't want to sound like one of those games like i take as a game developer i take a step back and i'm like i'm not going to make something that good like yeah. i can't even I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely legendary, and I don't want to. I don't want to like put my foot in my mouth or sound like a hypocrite when later on in this list I say a game, like I put a game on there solely for gameplay or something like that. But you know, I think you know if maybe Breath of the Wild, like like we said for Breath of the Wild too, if they actually incorporate like a really good, you know, story with meaningful dungeons and stuff. I think maybe that could be has more of a potential to be on like my top five of a decade uh, than I mean, Breath of the Wild. The best Zelda story ever told is not a meaningful story. Like that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Zelda's I don't see that about happening, but I, I do think playing. it'll be another game that is a masterclass on yeah. open world. But, but yeah, imagine, I, imagine if Zelda games actually did have really good stories though. They'd literally just be the best games ever. Like, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. They'd be on unstoppable. But yeah, you know, Undertale touched me more, like touched my life yeah. more than Breath of the Wild did. But Breath of the Wild is just goodness. Just yeah, and and just I I love thinking about the implications it'll have for open world games going forward. You yeah, know? it's like we really haven't seen the ramifications of it yet. You know, because video games, obviously, big video games take a while to make, right? And Breath uh, of the Wild you, you've came seen out like twenty seven start right? of it in the indie space yeah but you haven't seen it in the triple a world at all yeah so like once like you know triple a heads get their get, wrap their heads around um you know breath of the wild game design and just iterate on it and refine it i'm really excited to see where that could lead us yeah i agree all right mike all what's right your, what's your number four, four? Ooh. so i feel like i'm gonna get a little bit of hate for this but fallout 4 like <clears throat> that game hit me in a weird way because it was right in the middle of college for me when it came out. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a weird that's a weird pick, Mike. 
Uh, hey, it man. is. There's there's no no judgment here. Video nah. games are so subjective, you know. No, like, I'm not gonna call it a bad pick. Yeah. I just wouldn't. I would never have expected it. It's it's the first game that I legitimately feel like. I'd be at class or in class or doing band things or whatever. And the only thing I could think about was going home and playing more of it. Like I was putting five, six hours into that game over the court every day for weeks. Like, I think my file hit 300 hours before the new year rolled in. (laughs) So it was, it was a game that really hit me differently. I don't know what, what was with it. Did you play Fallout 3 before? Oh, yeah, I did. I played the crap out of Fallout 3, too. Because I would think, you know, from my perspective at least, I feel like Fallout 3 is the one that could really has the potential to hit someone. And then Fallout 4, to me at least, was just more of Fallout 3. Yeah, I played a lot of New Vegas, but I never wanted to go home and play more New Vegas. I just kind of, it was just kind of there for me to pick up. Also, Fallout yeah. 3 was 2008, so if you're picking a Fallout yeah. game for the 2010s... Yeah, I, right. I could have picked New Vegas, but I really... I was playing on an unpatched Xbox version, and that wasn't a good first experience. Oh, gosh, <laughs> That yeah. game was awful. An buddy. unpatched Bethesda game. Oh. Yeah. Hellspawn. No, Fallout 3 was up there, but that was 2008, so I can't count it. But I can count Fallout 4, so... Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I don't have anything to say. I've, I've never played a Fallout game. Oh wow, really? Well, I I've touched New Vegas and I hated it. That's why I've never played a Fallout game. But well, New Vegas is very dissimilar to three and four. Yeah, so. I don't have meaningful opinions about it. I just didn't get into it. I spent a lot of time in the building system in Fallout Four too. That's what really got me. Is that a lot of my time and a lot of the, my my levels were building things. Like I just go build a settlement and then leave, do something else, and then go back and build the settlement some more. Yeah, I think base building is a uh... A very 2010s thing that uh, all build all started by Minecraft, I would say. And and it's such a meaningful mechanic for people. Like it, it, your home base is so much. It's really hard to design a home base that will feel like home. But if you have the player build it, I think then you just kind of get that for free. Although, not that building a building system is free, but it's easier design wise. Yeah, you don't have to design that home base anymore. It's just yeah, cause the, the player, player is it. doing it. They feel at home because it's theirs. They made it. Nobody else's is quite yeah. like it. They put all the effort into that, so it feels more rewarding to go back to it. Yeah. Well, is that back to you, Amit? Yeah, I guess so. All right, my number three, and this is the first one that sort of deviates from being an individual game, but my number three is actually a time period. Uh, fall 2011. Oh, so, Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I got so, some games from Fall 2011 on my so, list, I think. So just to list a few off. In Fall 2011, we had Dark Souls, Batman Arkham City, Uncharted 3, Skyrim, and Assassin's Creed Revelations. And all of those games for me, all of those games for me were like top-tier games, but more than that, I remember earlier that year uh just excitedly talking to my friends about guys november this year november is going to be crazy you know and i remember taking a part-time job at my dad's office over the summer just to raise enough money to buy these games uh in the fall like that was my sole objective that was was like like, i needed to play all of these games 
That was the start of the indie craze, too. Like, Minecraft had come out, but, like, it was, like, 11, 11, 11, a ton of indie games released that day. And 11, 11, 11 was Skyrim, too. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, I have so many stories. Like, I remember... So, I remember getting Dark Souls and actually not playing it. So, I didn't play it when it first came out. I, I got it, like, a few weeks after it came out. But it was so close to Skyrim at that point, I was just like, I'll play this later. Then I played Skyrim, and I remember my friend, Patrick, he wasn't getting the game at the time uh, for whatever reason, but he was so excited for the game's release. He came with me to GameStop. We stayed stayed in line like at midnight or whatever, and we got the game, and we bit, went back to my house and just played it all night. <clears throat> played it to the point where we like fell asleep just sitting there, you know? And it was just an absolutely divine experience at the time, right? Yeah. At the time, Skyrim was was oh yeah, Skyrim was the was hottest thing out there at the yeah. time. Yeah, and now like you know, obviously now open world games have progressed so much, but back then there was nothing else quite like it, and it just scratched that Bethesda itch so well, you know. And it was and, just yeah. Go ahead. Skyrim is like a comfort game for so many people. To this day, even, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're still releasing it. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and and so, yeah, and that's just one small part of what made Fall 2011 so special to me. And then after Skyrim, I tried Dark Souls, not really knowing what to expect, and then just completely falling in love with it. And then, obviously, we had Batman Arkham City, which, you know, widely regarded as the best game in that series, and a lot of my friends who weren't really even into gaming got this Batman Arkham City game just because it was so because, you know, everyone loves Batman and this game got insane reviews. So that was a big talking point amongst me and my friends for the longest time. And then Assassin's Creed Revelations. I was a huge Assassin's Creed fan um, and I still am. But, you know, back then, even more so. And this being touted as the end of Ezio's story and tying back into Altair's story, like, I was all over this game. I, you know, I was, I was so looking forward to it. And it definitely, I, I don't think it was as good as uh, Brotherhood or Two, but from a story perspective, it definitely delivered. And it definitely gave me the sh- sort of closure I wanted for Ezio's story arc. And I think, yeah, those are just the big ones off the top of my head. I, I'm sure I'm missing some. But and that's like, the very beginning of the decade, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the combination of all those games, like uh, sort of like a perfect storm uh, in 2011, still to this day, I don't think has been matched. I mean, like 2017 is probably the, cl- the closest we came. Yeah, when you told me you were doing a year, I expected 2017 because that yeah. was Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild. But like I 2011 was way more like in terms of impacting my life. And my friends' lives, like, we we basically felt at times we were living for November 2011. Oh, and I haven't even talk, talked about Uncharted 3. Uncharted, I was going to actually put Uncharted 2 on this list, but then I found out it came out in 2009. Um, <laughs> Uncharted, to me, is probably my favorite video game franchise. <clears throat> um, and especially, you know, Naughty Dog sort of mastered the formula with Uncharted 2. And, uh, you know, Uncharted 3 came out, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I remember showing it to a lot of my friends in high school and stuff, and they were just 
and you know a lot of the ones that didn't play video games and stuff like that they were just shocked that this was a video game you know like it felt so much like an action flick you know and i i distinctly remember the part you know i guess spoilers for uncharted 3 but um the part where nathan's in the in the plane and the plane blows up oh, and he jumps yeah. out and he grabs the like the parachute crate it was it, we were like i remember just like screaming with my friends because we couldn't believe what was happening on the screen I, I have replayed that level so many times yeah it's probably remember, the best cinematic like cinematic playable cinematic sequence in gaming of all time it was incredible and uncharted 3 is just full of those like set piece moments like the cruise ship as well oh, the cruise ship was a good one i that's god i always forget that that's three i always think that's two because oh, i was trying to think but then i remembered it was three because yeah. it didn't like a tsunami hit like the cruise ship yeah the fact that yeah. those two moments are in the same game yeah oh, absolutely fuck. insane yeah, you know, that Naughty game is Dog, bonkers. Naughty Dog definitely with Uncharted Three. I are, I would argue they already did this with two, but with three they cemented themselves as the master of like set piece game design. Yeah, nobody does it like they do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, those Square Enix tries with Tomb Raider and they do they do pretty good. But it's they respectable, but like Naughty Dog's on another level. Yeah. But yeah, those I think I listed five games are why Fall 2011 is number three on my list. So, Ahmed, you chomped a bit of my flavor, because uh, my number three is just Dark Souls, which did come out in fall of 2011. Yeah. Uh, but that game is just... I don't even know how to explain it. Like, <laughs> No, I get you. D- falling into the lore, the like, the way that you look at cycles in that game and breaking the cycle, and and not just to me, but I've I know so many people that Dark Souls has been a meaningful game, like a a metaphor for depression, uh, an act of perseverance, just a, uh, and the game's you know you can even see where the game's not finished and it still feels just amazing, like the whole way through for me. Yeah. Like. And and it's mostly the first game, but really it's it's the whole trilogy. Even Dark Souls 2, I liked. I you know, I'll. It's not the best game in the world, but I liked it, and it it did its own thing, which I can respect. Whereas Dark Souls 3 really leans on Dark Souls 1 a lot, in my opinion. But they're all three just stellar games, and I just the sense of but the first one you beat is the best feeling. You know, I, I had a friend who thought Dark Souls 2 was the better between Dark Souls 1 and 2 for a while, and I really think that that was just because once you've learned how to play Dark Souls, you know how to play Dark Souls, and it really doesn't hit the same way. To beat it, the feeling of accomplishment isn't as huge. Yeah. Because when you beat your first Dark Souls game, that's like... That's the biggest feeling of accomplishment I've had playing a video game, period. Yeah, like... like there's nothing else that comes sure close. it was possible. And especially, like... And I think that carries through in the narrative, too. Because, like, in Dark Souls 1, no, you know, Gwen's the only one who's linked the fire before you, you know? You're not even sure that... I mean, of course you know that you can, because it's a video game and it's what you do, but you don't even know that, like, it's possible for some random undead to stroll up and link the fire. Like, isn't that the domain yeah. of a god? Like, that you're yeah, going to go I- in and fight your way into? But then, you know, Dark Souls 2 and 3, like, you're linking the fire again. It's been done before. Like, I kind of... You know, I felt like it was... It's what you are supposed to do. You know, it wasn't this yeah. huge insurmountable thing. So Dark Souls 1 really just is a feeling unlike any other in gaming I've ever had. And, Plus, and the lore, like, 
the difficulty runs so deep that they make it difficult to even understand what's going on. Yeah, and no, that's that's part of the allure of the game too. Like not just the insane boss battles and the feeling of overcoming impossibility, but like the story, it, it's like you're an archaeologist, right? Yeah, the it's, story it's is the most important to, part of Dark Souls. It's there for you to uncover. You know, it's there yeah. for you to uncover. And if you don't want to uncover it, you go through the whole thing not really knowing what's going on. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll find an insane, epic story spanning eons, generations, you know, filled with kingdoms and, like, eldritch beings and, like, cosmic horror and, you know, like, all these things in these Souls games. And, like, that's that's definitely a huge allure of it, I think. Yeah, Miyazaki's just a genius. Yeah, I just, I can't even, like, I could go on about Dark Souls for hours but it yeah i the story is just so important to me i love that world so much and i really hope they put it to rest and don't keep making them which is a weird take maybe but dark souls 3 had a satisfying conclusion i don't want to link the fire again i've done yeah. it enough times you know? but i do think i do think that even if they put out a four and a five and a six and a seven or you know etc oh they'll all be i don't amazing. i think they'll all be amazing but i don't think that'll impact how just staggeringly monumental Dark Souls One is. Oh that yeah, no, nothing can. I mean, one if of Dark the Souls most two influential. Can't bring down Dark Souls yeah, one. one of the most influential games of all time. It spawned yeah. a genre, for yeah, God's sake, you know. Yeah, I mean the Souls. Like, I mean, people are still calling. It spawned stuff the a Dark genre of... in the 2010s. You know, like it's yeah. it sh- it shows that we're not done yet. You know, like I mean Zelda. How often do you invent a new genre of movie? You know. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can even see, like, inspiration from Dark Souls and Breath of the Wild, like, yeah, in the in the combat and even in some of the storytelling. Like, of course, Dark Souls, like, it, its inspiration is from Metroid Prime and things like that. Like, it, it's it's on the shoulders of giants, of course, like all things. But, yeah, it's just crazy. And, and you know, that's 2011, like the decade had barely started. Yeah, it barely started, and yet it defined, you know, it defined so much of what was to come that decade. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my number three. All right, Mike, your number three? Now, my number three? <clears throat> picking up speedrunning. Oh, that's awesome. Like, that was probably the most interesting thing I did in the last decade. Got myself a world record out of it and everything, and, well, that's now gone coming into 2020, but, I mean, I had it. <laughs> Get it yeah, back. Yeah, that's unreal. I, I love I, I myself like casually speedrunning games just to see if I can get close, you know? Yeah, I'm about to pick up Hat in Time, but I really don't want to go oh, back yeah. to Mass Effect 3 because as a casual game, which I'll get into a little later, spoilers, I enjoyed it. But as a speedrunning game, it's a lot of me just sitting there watching cutscenes and yeah. praying that I get to play in the next twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and we even modded the game to skip cutscenes, and it's still in ninety percent cutscenes and ten percent gameplay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact: I was going to put <clears throat> Bioware slash Mass Effect on this list, but then I figured out, you know, Mass Effect Two came out in two thousand nine, I think. Mm. Which, you know, I wanted to put Mass Effect Three on the list, but it wouldn't feel right without the whole trilogy. But any in any any case, we can go back to speedrunning. Yeah, no, speedrunning is just a really interesting thing, and I feel like anyone can do it if they just want to work at it. 
Yeah, like, I mean, some of the stuff you of can do speedrunning is not hard. Like if I had the time, like if I could go back to like high school when I was just sitting around all the time <laughs> and like I wasn't even playing video games a lot of the time, you know. If I could go back then and start playing Super Mario Bros. 3, like, speedrunning that game, oof. Yeah, and from my perspective, you know, like, I just, I haven't personally tried speedrunning, but I love watching it as entertainment, you know, like, and I love the sort of history that's been, like, well-documented on channels, like Summoning Salt. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what was the first Games Done Quick? The first Games Done Quick was actually 10 years ago. Okay, so 2010? Yeah. Yep, 2010. So that that's a 2010s thing, yeah. Yeah, like, it's always fun to watch a speedrunner take a game that you loved as a child or loved as an adult. Just absolutely destroy and it. absolutely tear it to pieces. Like, that's the yeah. most enjoyable thing. Especially when, like, GDQ will do their awful games, which are games that weren't good. But they make them good because they expose how bad this game was programmed. And just kind of tear it to spaghetti. <laughs> like, and another thing, you know, it's just so cool watching like the absolute perfection on display. You know, like, you know, these speedrunners can get to the point of like such efficiency where like if they miss an input and like get a second delay, that's the entire run nuked because you know like you you'll never be able to make that time up. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy the just the level of perfection required out of like the top uh in speed running it's also like the record will be like oh this can't be broken anymore look at like ocarina of time oh yeah at 13 minutes is the minimum it can go and then someone finds an exploit that allows them to access a warp menu and now it's down to nine minutes like that's nuts yeah it's also funny how i mean this isn't all games but speedrunners find stuff like this like they dissect a game until it's not fun anymore like like yeah. the ocarina of time speedrun is unwatchably boring now like, it's <laughs> yeah. so stupid but i love it still like it's fun to watch once but i would never want to watch somebody grinding out ocarina of time speedruns it depends on the run like that's why there's subcategories that pop up right when yeah. someone so gets that bored of like any percent because you look at another zelda game Link to the past, the any percent run is like, don't quote me here, it's like three minutes. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, check so that. Yeah, like, right. yeah, that's not fun to watch anymore. That's that's why it's good to have these other categories. Like 120 star Super Mario 64 is so fun to watch for me. Hold on, no major glitches. Oh yeah, major glitches is one minute 31 seconds to beat uh to oh, beat Link to the past, Link to the past with that's major insane. glitches. Yeah, speedrunners are really. Something. It's like <laughs> yeah, Pokemon's any percent is a zero 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 in game time. Like that's well, crazy. Are you saying the world record for Pokemon is no time at all? Pokemon it's Red, yeah, yeah, because Pokemon Red only counts in minutes, so it's, so it's like thirty. It's got to be. It's got to be less than. It's twenty nine seconds or less. Yeah, that's disgusting. How's that even possible? Uh, they do a lot of item manipulation because the game timer doesn't count when you're actively in menus. So they just manipulate their items, so the second they leave their house, they're in the Hall of Fame. See, I think the, the more interesting speedrunning category to me is, like, like the actual, like, 100%ing or playing the game. Yeah, where that's it relies why I like more on, like, star. execution, execution yeah. rather than exploiting. Yeah. There are glitches that are fun to watch. 
like I don't mind watching people like like in a 120 star speed run in Super Mario 64, they like go straight to the first Bowser fight usually. But they go back and do those stars, you know? Like 80% is also enjoyable to watch, honestly. Yeah, it's fun. To, yeah, I mean they're all fun in their own way, but this is just my preference. I like to see the superhuman like like doing the same stuff I would have done but way better instead of yeah. doing something totally different from what I know from my playthrough. And I, I'll be honest, like watching speedruns has changed the way I play games a lot of the time. Like I've games that I liked as a kid, like some of the easier speedrun stuff that skips a part of the game I didn't like that much, I'll incorporate it into when I play it now so that I don't have to do that anymore. So, solid pick. That's why, you know, like, again, I love the different perspectives here because I never would have even thought of speedrunning, but it is such a huge part of, you know, gaming and my enjoyment of games as well. Because, like, I often, you know, watch these Summoning Salt videos and yeah, look at these world record completions. So, yeah. You ready to move on? Number two. Yeah. Number two. All right. We're getting into the the heat. The highest echelon. The highest echelon. Yeah. So this one was – okay. So one and two were very hard for me to place. Um, but I ended up for number two going with God of War. So the, the PS4 one? Yeah. Uh, oh, I yeah, because the other one was in 2010s, yeah. I need to spin a little story for this one. Um, and so let me let me just back up a little bit. God of War 3, I think, came out in 2010. And when I got that game, it was the first God of War I ever played. And it was it was amazing. I loved it. It was violent and action-y and all those things. But, like, you know, I didn't really care about Kratos. Like, Kratos was just some angry dude who killed everyone, like literally everyone. And that was basically the story of God of War 3. I do distinctly remember, however, the intro to God of War 3 being one of the single most epic sequences I've ever seen put to game, like still. Um, like I distinctly remember uh, replaying the intro of God of War 3 over and over again in front of different friends just to blow their minds. You know, like, and I remember one of my friends, Thomas, like coming coming over to my house and seeing like the God of War three intro being played. And he was like, Hey, what, what, uh, what movie is this? It looks really cool. I was like, son, this is a video game and I'm actually playing right now. <laughs> it just sort of blew his mind. But yeah, all that being said, God of War, awesome action game. Didn't really care about the story or characters or Kratos at all. Fast forward to 2017, right? Uh, Sony's E3 press conference. Um, they start the conference with an orchestral performance and it's playing this really sort of angry haunting piece, this like slow plotting, but like you can tell it's angry, you know, like, and it really just sort of screamed God of war, but obviously no one can know for sure. Cause it was just the piece playing by itself, uh, with no visuals or gameplay or anything. But once the orchestra finished, um, we saw, you know, cutscene start up, and it was a young boy playing with what seemed to be like a couple wooden dolls. And like, I remember watching, I was like, "What is this? Okay, maybe it's not God of War." Like, well, I don't really understand what's happening here. And then a gruff voice from the shadows says, "Like, get your things, boy. We're going to go hunting," or something to that effect. And a man sh- steps out of the shadows, and it's Kratos. Uh, clearly aged with the beard 
And I just remember, for some reason, jumping out of my seat and screaming. And after that, like, I'd go back and think, like, why did I do that? Because I didn't care about Kratos. Like, Kratos isn't a big deal. Like, God of War had really fun gameplay to me. But that was about it. But something about the way this game was being presented and this Kratos was being perspective, even from second one, I could tell that this was something different and something special. And then Corey Barlog, the director of the game, proceeded to play the demo live at E3 with the orchestra scoring the demo live. Like, it was such a <laughs> surreal thing to see. Like, I've never That's seen anything like it. Move. Yeah, and it was insane. And seeing, you know, like, we we had all the big hits of God of War, uh, like, brutal action and, like, exciting combat, all of that stuff. But there was a market difference from the previous games um and you saw that in just in how kratos interacted with his son atreus and the sort of even in this brief you know 20 30 minute demo we got the the sort of the characterization of these two and the promise of what it could turn into in the full game and then you know as the demo ends you know the boy says uh, or kratos says to the boy now you are ready and the camera sort of zooms out and you see this insanely huge, vast, open world. And just the title come up over the screen, God of War. No subtitle, no number, nothing. Just God of War again. You know, so they, they already had a, the original game that came out, you know, on the PS2 was called God of War. Um, and they're just going with that title again. And I remember just being completely floored by what I had seen. Like, I... I had not been this excited for a game since I was, like, a kid. You know, I felt like a kid again, looking forward to this game. Just because, like, God of War 3 was excellent, right? But this promised to be basically sort of like The Last of Us mixed with God of War. And the reason I put God of War on this list instead of The Last of Us was because after finally playing it, it was a very rare case of it completely lived up to the hype I had for it and then some. And playing it and seeing Kratos bond with his son, similar to how Joel bonds with Ellie, you know, overarching, you know, the theme is very similar, you know, uh, a hesitant father figure bonds with their child or in The Last of Us's case, you know, surrogate child. And, you know, ultimately that pays off at the end with a very emotionally fulfilling conclusion. But where God of War took it one step further for me was that it somehow managed to recontextualize the previous games and gave more meaning to them. And and, and in doing so, like, made this Kratos a better character. So, like, the mindless action and just, you know, raucous, I don't even want to say story, but, like, it was just... The series of events that constituted the previous God of War games. This game pulled from those in such a way that it gave Kratos like so much depth and anguish, and like that was it was it was portrayed so incredibly, and just the story was told so beautifully. And I think the achievement of that can't be understated. The fact that they took this game, this IP. That was one thing and turned it into something else, but still somehow honored and enhanced the previous games. I think that's what makes God of War extraordinarily special. 
And uh, yeah, I know I just talked for like 10 minutes straight, but that's why it's on my list. And it is my favorite game of the PlayStation 4 Xbox One era, easily. And not your number one on this list. And not wow. your number one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, it was very tough for me uh, deciding between one and two. Mike, did you play it? I, I did not play God of War yet. I haven't yet either. I've been I, sleeping uh, on it. That's why I've been so silent the past few minutes. <laughs> I just yeah. let him go. Yeah, uh, I feel unfortunately. Like, yeah, I, just, I, I, I know. I just I mean, rambled. Damn it, you've been bugging me to play it for years. So. Yeah, and, and the great thing is, like, the combat... Uh, I didn't really touch on this, but the combat is nothing really like the previous God of War games. It's very Souls-like, the mm, combat. It looks very good. All right, yeah, I'm done. I, I've talked for long enough. <laughs> All right, my number two, um, kind of similar to my last game a little bit. I kind of, these two games were fighting each other to make my list, but uh, I'm allowed to use both of them, as it turns out. It's Hollow Knight. Oh, what a what a pick. Yeah, Hollow Knight is... I know I said earlier that Shovel Knight raised the bar for indie games, but to this day, in my opinion, Hollow Knight is the bar for indie games. Like, it's it's one of my favorite games I've ever played. The lore is more meaningful to me than Dark Souls. It like like where Dark Souls creates this like crushing world like that you feel like is totally against you and like you'll never accomplish something. Hollow Knight creates this melancholy world where you wander around and you're not even sure what you're trying to accomplish. Like, but not in an annoying video gamey way. In like an introspective, like solemn way. And like you, you follow these adorable bug characters and fight these epic bosses and like I mean it's one of those it, you you beat the fi- the final boss and then you know you find out that there's like another 10 hours of game left trying to get the final final boss like all these secrets all this post launch free DLC that they released like yeah the quality of Hollow Knight can't be overstated but i feel like we also have to mention one thing um this game was made by like four dudes oh yeah which yeah. is just I can't even fathom that. Team Cherry a is a game amazing. of this quality, arguably in my opinion, actually the best indie game ever made. I think Hollow Knight is the best indie game ever made. I would agree with that. I think made yeah. by four people, and it's just it's it's almost flawless. You see, I like mean, it kicks the crap out of most AAA games. Like, yeah, and they sold it for fifteen dollars, and you get yeah. like forty plus hours of insanely high quality content for it yeah i mean the music is haunting the the environments all just like hollow nest feels like a place that i visited like you know when i when i boot that game up i feel like i'm visiting a place and and you know i feel that way about a lot of games i played as a kid but this is a game i played in college like as an adult like yeah it it's an amazing game, and it just Hollow Knight Silk Song is one of my most anticipated games right now. Easily, like, yeah. Same. I I just want more of it. Like it 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 ended and it had a satisfying ending, but at the same time, I'm just starving for more because like I've played a lot of Metroidvanias, 
Hollow Knight is by far my favorite Metroidvania. Like, after playing Hollow Knight, looking at everything else, they don't... Super Metroid compares, but it's the only one that even comes close. Which is crazy, you know, like, it did it better than the thing that invented the genre. Yeah, and, like, going back, Hollow Knight is sort of like Breath of the Wild in that it it makes it hard to go back and play other Metroidvanias because it set the bar so high that these others just don't seem as good anymore. It's just incredible what they managed to do. And I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those few games that like, it's rare that a game is that long and I still want to go back and replay it. Same with breath of the wild. Like, but I do, you know, hollow Knight is just incredible. And like the stuff they do, like giving you, making you draw your own map sort of by exploring and like you have to use up a power-up slot to even make your character show up on that map like yeah. just the level of decision making near automata did a lot of similar stuff like the level of decision making that they make you do is just something else it's an incredible game and also I, i'm sure you already t- touched on it but just the world design and the way it all like leads into each other yeah, like the uh, way the, the design of a world hadn't impressed me like that that was the most impressed I've been with a world design since Dark Souls, the original Dark Souls. Yeah, and it it definitely does it better than any of the other Dark Souls games. Yeah, I would say that too. Like just the fact that like when the moment when you find out why it's raining in the city of tears is just incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And like Finding out who the Hollow Knight is, finding out who you are, finding out who everyone in this world was, is, you know, I mean, you can play through the whole game and not know who the antagonist, who the real antagonist is. Yeah. But but you put to beat the game, you, you pretty much figure it out. <laughs> um, and, like, you find out that you're not necessarily this force of good. You know, in in the true ending, you might not be that great of a thing. You could be just as dangerous as the antagonist. It's I mean, the the story in the ancillary lore definitely takes very dark turns. Like what like what happens with the grubs when you finally collect all of them? I don't know if you ever saw that, but yeah, I did. It's 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 disturbing, honestly. Yeah, it is. What a game. Yeah, that's another game that I, you know, even though I, I never 100% Metroidvania is because I think it's... Because you're playing Metroid, I'm not having fun going around finding all these missile tanks and stuff. But Hollow Knight made it fun. Like, I oh, wanted yeah. to find every grub. Every second and also of it was game very was doable. Enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I didn't 100% it technically. I never beat the Pantheon of Hollow Nest. Oh, yeah. We're no... <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a 40-minute long boss rush with no breaks and no checkpoints. Yeah, I don't need to beat that. <laughs> Ending with two new bosses that you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I have not beaten that yet. But notice I said yet. <laughs> oh, God. Because I, I have thrown myself at it. I, I did beat the Path of Pain, which you get literally nothing for. Oh, God. That oh, my God. Me. That scarred me for life. Yeah. Did you beat it? Uh, Path of Pain, no. Mm. But I did the uh, the other part. Yeah. 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 I beat the Path of Pain. It took me a while. Yeah, that that's just... I mean, that's that's one of those games that's, like, tops my list if you're like, oh, like, you only get one video game for the rest of time. Like, 
Hollow Knight as one that would be a serious contender. Or like, I only have 15 bucks. What should I do? It was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. If you come have 15 on. <laughs> bucks and haven't played Hollow Knight, like Hollow Knight is easily or even worth a dollar because it's on Game Pass. Hollow Knight is easily worth sixty dollars. Yeah, like, easily. But, but right now, you can pay a single dollar for three months of Game Pass Ultimate, and you can play Hollow Knight. So do yourself a favor, listener, and please play, play this game. But yeah, that's that's my number two. We're getting into some big heavy hitters. All right, what what about you, Mike? What's your? Oh man, <laughs> so kind of torn here. I was gonna talk about one thing, but then I thought about it, and I'm gonna go with the rise of large player count shooters. Okay, like Planet like Battle Royale, like Planet Side Two. That's the one I was thinking. I was looking through oh, my Steam okay. games list. I had a lot of fun even playing that game on like a crappy laptop at five frames per second. It nothing else matches the scale. I had a similar experience game. playing it on my thousand dollar gaming PC at five frames per second. Oh god. It it is <laughs> it's great. Like something about it just hits me every time I play it. It really is um a weird experience. Like there's so many different ways to play Planet Side too. Yeah. Like, there are some areas of that game that are designed like a Call of Duty map, and you can go there, and there'll probably be, like, 10 to 16 people running around, and it plays a lot like a Call of Duty match. But then there are also, like, these huge bases that'll take, like, have hour-long sieges going on at them, if not longer. Hour-long sieges where you push them out, push them to another territory, and then they get enough people to push you back, and it's just a back-and-forth slugfest for an hour or two. And then all of a sudden, like, the air... The, the Air Force flies in. All yeah. these people have been gathering resources to build ships. and The the tank columns roll in. The Air Force rolls in. It's, nothing can compare. It's like, Describing it to people is, imagine if Battlefield decided to up their player count to 300. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's goofy. Even when, like, population is gone. Like, early in the morning when I decide to play it. It's still people will literally stop all the actual points of the game and just like brawl it out on a territory. People get really serious too. Like there yeah. are people who like have like platoons. Is that what they're called in that game? Instead yeah, of platoons guilds and outfits. But like Out- they actually have ranks, and you actually have to like listen to your superior officer when you're playing and stuff. That's they get really serious. I used to run up a couple outfits. That was I've never done that. It was just me and my buddy Antonio playing and like. Yeah, we would just join a random group and not be that helpful, I think. But we still had a blast. Yeah, no, I... Even, like, flying a... It's like, the mechanical depth of some of those classes is insane. Like, even flying just, like, a fighter jet. There's a lot you have to learn to actually be competitive in those things and not get shot down immediately. Oh, yeah, I, I always got shot down immediately. Like, you gotta learn how to, like, J-turn, hover turn, do all this crazy stuff, all these maneuvers... Yeah, that game dog fights. Dog fights are done in hover mode, where you're just hovering at each other like a bunch of helicopters. Yeah, is that on PS4? Is that game available? It is on PS4. I might have to play it there because I, I never did. Like my PC, I don't know. I guess I've upgraded since then, but it did it not runs on my run PC. Well. Okay, it didn't used to run well. Like it was super unoptimized when it first came out. Yeah, I think they they did an optimization pass when they were going to port it to PS4, which they had to do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because. <laughs> It finally drove them to optimize the game. What a but game, no, if though. you haven't touched Planet Side 2, 
I'd recommend touching it or at least playing it because it's it's a one of a kind game. Yeah, and Planet Side Two for sure had to walk so that PUBG and Fortnite could run. Yeah. Mm. See, this is also interesting to me because I have literally zero experience with this. But you know, hearing you talk about it has definitely got me interested. Yeah, it's a tough game to get into for sure. It it has some it's free to play, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, it is free to play. It's got some real pay to win mechanics, but uh, I mean every weapon used in that to. game is pretty much a side grade. It felt so it definitely felt pay to win at one point. But uh, most you can of the time get, the you thing can get is you can get weapons. You can get by with the base weapons and there's nothing in the game that's like locked off from you. Yeah. You can earn everything in the game. It just might take a while. Yeah, it doesn't. I think a certificate grind, a cert grind, which is your, ex- basically your experience points. And you actually Depending will get stuff sooner go. if you perform better, which is yeah. nice. Depending on where you go, you could get. I think my my average on a grind is like 100, 200 certs an hour. That's pretty good. At minimum. And that's if I'm at a heavy place and just focusing on just grinding out certs. Yeah. And a weapon in that game costs at most a thousand. Mm-hmm. Which That's I like you don't buy five weapons to ten generally. Hours. Yeah. Five to ten hours for a weapon. I That's... generally don't even buy weapons. I buy character upgrades because those help a lot more than getting a new weapon. Right. Like it's, having it's a good game though. Yeah, it's a good game. Having a better jetpack is a lot better than having a weapon that's only really good at close range. Yeah. You just gotta learn because every weapon has a different like effective range and a different place where it's really good and really bad. Like the base weapon for the faction that I play, which is the new conglomerate, for the light assaults and medics, or not the, yes, no, it's engineers. It's a very long, kind of a longer range weapon that's super accurate and hits like a truck, but it's really slow firing. So you don't want to go up close and try to like. 1v1 people at close range with it. Yeah. You're going to lose. Yeah, it's been so long since I've played that game. Most of those words made sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to follow along. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a hell of a game. It's like you you get like credits and stuff and you get resources and you have to spend your own resources to like take one for the team and like get a mobile spawning unit so that you can like open up a new base outside of a target and stuff. Yeah. Like you're you're attacking an enemy base, but you need somewhere to spawn nearby, mm-hmm. so you have to like buy this truck and drive you it out there. Buy the there. party bus and drive it. To, <laughs> drive yeah, drive right it out there, and then you have to defend up. it because if they destroy it, you lose your spawn point. Yeah, it's it's a good game, and it's something that like really inspires cooperation and stuff. And it and the maps are massive. There's like three gigantic maps, Actually, maybe more now. There's four now, yeah. There's about to be a... Okay. I think they're releasing a fifth one at some point. Like, they just added massive carrier ships that yeah. outfits that spawn in. And this, that was kind of... This game kind of came early in the, the games-as-a-service trend. Yeah. And I, I think did it pretty well. Yeah. And I mean, it's still around, so... It survived not one... Not, not only Sony Online Entertainment dropping it, but also the development team... Splitting off from Daybreak, which was the leftovers from Sony Online Entertainment. <laughs> so it survived a good bit. Yeah. I don't know if Rogue Planet is the same devs from Daybreak. They just renamed themselves so that they can only focus on Planet Side and be separate from Daybreak. I don't know. Yeah, it's just 
they just like separated off a dev team from the main company so that the main company doesn't have to worry about that. Time for number one. All right. So, yeah, yeah I was going to ask for that. Thanks. <laughs> My number one is Dark Souls and the rise of From Software. Yeah. So, that that it, is not the one I expected us to have in common. Yeah, that's what I thought we'd have in common, actually. So, my prediction was right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be Breath of the Wild. So, there's we've already said so much about Dark Souls, but I've got a few more things to say. Um, when I was debating this list, right, one and two, I was interchanging them constantly. But I ended up putting Dark Souls at number one, because if I really think about it, if 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 Dark Souls never existed, God of War, the re the the new God of War would not be what it is. The gameplay would not be what it is. If Dark Souls never existed, your number two Hollow Knight would not be what it is. You know, Dark Souls yeah, that's likely has its influences in almost everything in the last decade after it came out, and its influence will be felt for years and years to come. And not only that. Uh, if we remember what I put for number three, the fall 2011, the reason I didn't talk too much about Dark Souls in that section was because, you know, obviously it's here at the number one spot. But after I had I, I, I mentioned that I got Dark Souls but didn't play it because of Skyrim. Well, shortly after, you know, I got Skyrim and played it for dozens of hours, I was like, OK, let's try this Dark Souls and see what it's about. And. After I started Dark Souls, I never went back to Skyrim again. And they're completely different games, right? So one there is was not... a weird like rivalry between them there around is, yeah. 2011. I don't think there is anymore, but there definitely was. But just playing Dark Souls, it, it it gave me something I never even knew I wanted, and something that the gaming industry lacked a lot at that point in time, which is just. The pure uncut vision of the game's creator for a AAA game, right? Like, there's so many games coming out with, like, okay, choose your difficulty. Easy, normal, hard, very hard, very easy, whatever, you know? Dark Souls is just Dark Souls. You either play Dark Souls or, you know, don't play it. It's not for you, right? Like, yeah, the, the gameplay is fixed. And it being, like, a shining beacon of, like, hey, difficult games are still here. And they still feel great to overcome. And yes, we can have the games that can cater to all audiences. But like, if you really want to test yourself and like, if you want, you know, a challenge and to feel good about yourself when you overcome that challenge, Dark Souls is here. And and it came at a time when handholding was like yeah, at its worst. Like, that's wasn't, kind yeah, of what Skyward I was trying Sword, to say. Yeah, Skyward Sword came out around then, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. And that's that is, in my opinion, the worst handholdy game of all time. But yeah, I mean, I can vividly, I, my gaming memories for Dark Souls are so vivid. You know, like I can clearly remember my jaw dropping when I stepped foot into Anorlando for the first time. Like my, like physically, my jaw dropped. You know, like I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I also remember, and. Choose not to believe me if you wish, because this is very unbelievable. But I remember beating Ornstein and Smoke on my first try, and I really don't know how I did that. I don't think I could ever do it again. But I did. Did it. you summon? No, I never summoned for those games. 
I, I don't know if I believe you, though. <laughs> well, I, ha- I had, like, a, I was doing, like, a pyromancy build. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's believable, then. Having Lordran, the world, kind of unravel itself, and just seeing how it all connected together, the world design of that world, I was just left in awe. Like, I couldn't believe, like, after I finished Dark Souls, I was just like, what did I just play? Like, and this, the fact that this blue sky... Like- this blew Skyrim out of the water for me, a concept which I couldn't, I wouldn't even think was possible a couple months ago. Yeah. So and they're so think? comfortable, like just letting you miss stuff. Like you can just not even see Ashley. You can miss entire the, areas. Yeah. The painted world of Ariamis, like. Yeah. They're not easy to find. Like. <laughs> They're very yeah. obscure, like two illusory walls to get to Ash Lake. Yeah, but that's why what? I lo- I, I love yeah. that about Dark Souls. Like he's Miyazaki is so singular in his vision. He's just like you know, if if you don't discover it, that's fine. That's your experience. But you know, if you if you dig a little deeper, there there are these secrets for you to uncover. Yeah. And you know, like I I also said, you know, the rise of some from software is another reason why this is number one. But Ultimately, it all comes back to Dark Souls. Even though Demon Souls was the first, you know, Dark Souls was the one that changed the world. Right. And and going forward from there, you know, Dark Souls two was you know kind of mixed, but I still really loved it. Uh, Dark Souls three, excellent. And Bloodborne, which I some days I put that over Dark Souls this is my favorite Souls quote unquote game. Um, you know, Blood Bloodborne is a masterpiece in its own right, but. You know, the the award has to go to Dark Souls for being the one to start it all. And the yeah. one, you know, like, and I, and I think it's so deserving of the number one spot, not only because it's an excellent game, uh, but because it changed gaming as we know it. And that's evidenced by the number of games on both of our lists that were influenced by Dark Souls. For the record, Team Cherry claims that they uh, had not played Dark Souls when they uh, made Hollow Knight. But that doesn't mean it wasn't a little bit inspired by it. Yeah. I, but I, yeah. Dark I don't Souls know. is just. I was gonna say like I feel like they were influenced by some degree. Yeah, I, I think they had to be. Yeah. I mean, at least you know the death run mechanic, even if it was like superficially. But <laughs> yeah, yeah Dark Souls changed the world. Yeah, that's all I got. That's my list. I got casual filtered by Dark Souls when it first came out, and didn't I bought it like day one, and then didn't beat it until Dark Souls three came out. Oh wow. Yeah. I couldn't figure out where to put the key after I beat the gargoyles. <laughs> yep, that was it. It wasn't like a hard fight or anything. I just couldn't find where to put the key. Lame. Yeah. What's your number one, Connor? Uh, I uh, I don't think anybody's going to expect this one from me, but it is Terraria. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, I'll do it for that. Yeah, Terraria it. is an incredible game. I, uh, it's it's my most played game uh, of any game I have that counts how many hours you've played it. Uh, probably, and, and it beats my next most played game by over 200 hours. It's only in the four. It's only at 400 hours. I'm not somebody that plays a game for a couple thousand hours or anything. But yeah. uh, Terraria just, I don't know what it is about it, but it just usually it's when a new update comes out or something. But it's just every once in a while. Me and my friends get on the same wavelength, and we're like, this is what we're doing. And we just sit down and pl- do a playthrough of Terraria and multiplayer, and a playthrough of Terraria is, like, eight, probably 80-some hours, you know? Like, a lot of that's digging. Like, it's kind of zen in the same way Minecraft is, but then 
the payoff of that is this super epic combat that Minecraft really doesn't have. And, like, being able to build these structures that look really cool but are also functional. And, uh, I don't know, they, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I paid $2.50 for Terraria, and it is my most played game of all time. Do they keep adding more to it? Yeah, there's a new update coming soon. Yeah. That's so exciting. But I, I remember I, I dabbled with Terraria for a few hours, and I absolutely loved it. But I guess I just got distracted or something, and I never continued. I remember when Skeletron was the final boss of that game, like the hardest boss in the game. You would beat Skeletron, and then you got to go into the dungeon at the end of the game. And the dungeon was a super difficult area where you'd get a bunch of really cool items and stuff, but, like, you'd already beat Skeletron, you know? That was the end of the game, and everybody was like, all right. And then you did a year or something later... Hard mode gets announced, which sounds like it would be another mode to play the game in, but it's not. They add another boss called the Wall of Flesh to hell in the game. You go down, you have to kill one of the NPCs to summon it, and then you fight this massive wall that, like, every other boss in the game, you've been able to, like, build an arena and kind of attract the boss to the arena and fight on your own turf. But the Wall of Flesh actually comes at you and chases you through hell. Like, you have to be moving the entire time you're fighting them. And hell is full of lava pits and other enemies and stuff, distractions and stuff, and uneven terrain. And if you get caught, like, the Wall of Flesh will one-hit kill you if you get stuck between terrain and it and get crushed. Or if you don't beat it before you hit the end of the world. And it's just this massive health pool you have to wail on and get it down. And then once you kill the Wall of Flesh... There's been this uh, element in the game the whole time called the corruption. That yeah, is, I, I remember that. It kind of spreads through the world and makes it more dangerous. And all of a sudden, there's another version of the corruption called the hallow that shows up. And this is like unicorns and fairies and stuff, but it's actually far more dangerous than the corruption. Murder and unicorns. The <laughs> and the corruption also gets stronger. And so your entire world suddenly is way more dangerous. And like... yeah. You're kitted out. You're used to being like you can just plow through every enemy in the game, and now all of a sudden, like the weakest enemies can kill you quickly. This is even awesome. though you have this amazing gear, and you have to work your way up to the top again. And there's harder versions of every boss, yeah. like Skeletron Prime, the Eater of Worlds, or just the Destroyer. I forget which one is. I think it's the Destroyer is the harder Eater yeah, of Worlds. Yeah, the Destroyer, and then there's and, the uh, Twins. The twins, which are two eyes of Cthulhu that shoot lasers at you and stuff. And it's just insane. And then they've added, I mean, even on top of that, they've added a ton of boss fights since then. They've added fishing, um, like a ton of wave-based events that happen where like an army will siege your base. And those are even harder sometimes. They've added, um, even after hard mode, wasn't Chlorophyte and stuff added after hard mode? Like I think so, like Plantera and everything. Right, they added Plantera, that's another boss you beat, with another ore and a couple more tiers of armor you can get. And then they added, um, finally, a final boss that is, like, the Moon Lord or something, where you yeah, summon him, fight him, and you get, like, this super high tier. But, like, I don't care how strong you are, the Moon Lord never gets to be easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. This sounds incredible. It, it sounds like a constant, like, it sounds like constant escalation, you know? Like, I feel like... They keep putting out new content, and, like, 
there keeps it, being yeah. like more bosses and like more insane things you have to do, like going down into hell and like the, all that sort of stuff. And and they've announced that it's it was over more than once, and then have come back to it. And like I just can't get over the fact that I paid two dollars and fifty cents for this game. I have gotten yeah. more than an hour per penny. And I'm, you know, my friends have been texting me lately, itching to get back to it. Like it's, it's just so infinitely replayable. Well, next time you replay it, let me know. I might jump in. I will. I want There's to also mods for this. Mods are actually cool too. Yeah, I haven't ever played the mods. I've only ever played vanilla because it's just I've... every playthrough has been so vastly different for me. Because like I always sit down and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna build this sort of build this time, and then like. A lot of the items you get, you don't craft. Like, it has a crafting system, but a lot of them are RNG-based. And you get the RNG, you know, you just f- happen to find an amazing weapon, and you're like, all right, you know, forget that. I'm doing this now. It's just yeah. the way it is. It's That's just the way it is. So, am I hearing Game Talk Terraria playthrough? <laughs> yeah, we might have to. <laughs> we might have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. But Mike, why don't you why don't you round us out? What's your your last pick? I was kind of torn. I was gonna I, instead of talking about Planet Side Two, I was gonna talk about MOBAs, but Planet Side Two caught thing. But my definite number one, and this one's actually in order of the game that I enjoyed the most through the last decade was Warframe. Okay, oh, yeah, you talk like, about that game yeah. constantly. I talk <laughs> about that game a lot because it just keeps adding more, other than like the last two updates, which were kind of garbage. And kind of rushed out, but there's just so much to do starting out that it's almost daunting. But it, uh, there's so many words I could use to describe Warframe, and bad is not one of them. <laughs> like they've gone through three different iterations of a melee system, and everyone's better than the old one. I can now like freely swap between my melee weapon and my gun way faster than you could before because you used to have to hold down the weapon swap key to pull out your sword now you just press the melee key and it's out yeah i've I've played warframe on and off a few times and every single time i'm just amazed because i i forget about it and it's this free-to-play game that's just unreal how polished it is like yeah it's just destiny if destiny was way better like yeah that's what i gotta try it i gotta try it what what's most impressive to me is how you said like they completely put like stripped out and put in updated like new systems. You know, like no one really does that. You know, they just sort of iterate on their old systems. Now I say it's yeah, better no. than Destiny. I'm not certain it's better than Destiny two, but it's, it's dude. A de- really I, I, good game. Okay, yeah, Destiny one is better than Destiny two in my opinion. As someone really. who's played both extensively, so like well, I can say it's definitively better than Destiny one. Yeah, Warframe. Warframe is also a game that basically is the whole reason Digital Extremes as a studio is still afloat. Like, if it wasn't for this game getting huge, they would have gone out of business years ago when this thing launched. Yeah, I feel like if we if we had a a bigger editing budget, we should really just stitch together every time you've talked about Warframe on this show (laughs) right now because you've done it. I talk about it too much. It's not my fault. I think I, it's been ahead. your games I've been playing recently, like four times. Well, that's 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 awesome though. Like, yeah, it's just that kind of game. It's yeah. a game that pops up. Like, I'll stop playing it for a couple months, and then I'll just dive back into it to figure out what's new, and then quit playing it for another like four months. But it still holds a place in my heart as one of those games that I can always go back to, and it'll always be something new to find out because they'll update it or. 
they'll throw out a new update or they'll throw a new story quest in there. That's such a reassuring feeling, like knowing but, that this thing will be there and it'll always have something new to look look forward to as well as as well as this you know while simultaneously being uh, comfort food. And that's yeah. why Maple Story is my best game of the century. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> no, no, like uh, this. Not a lot of games you can go back to. It's like, oh, I haven't discovered everything in this game yet. Yeah. Because one, eventually you're going to run out of content, your Skyrims, your Witchers, your Hollow Knights. But games as a service, yeah, they're if always done growing. right, they're always growing. If I, done right is the yeah. key part. It's hard to it's, do yeah. right. There's not, like, Destiny 1, 2, Division 1 and 2, both were real bad in their first year. And, and Anthem 2. Like Anthem's Anthem still bad. Bad enough that they're having they're actually redesigning the entire game. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah, we'll see that. About it's that hard one. to nail those things down. Like the Division One was garbage in its first year. The Division Two, surprise, surprise, garbage in its first year. Destiny one, kinda bad in its first year. Destiny two, surprise who's surprised that it was also really bad in its first year. Yeah, I wish I don't know. Like I get the games as a service model, but like Put the game out when it's ready, and then like yeah. it should, you know, like it should be complete game first, and then you add stuff as a service in addition yeah. to that. But yeah, that's a that's a different discussion. Well, I think that is going to do it. Uh, we went on pretty long, so uh, <laughs> maybe for this time we'll skip what we've been playing because we just listed out like fifteen plus games. But I would love to hear audience your top five of the decade and now that we actually have social media you can tell us uh you can tweet at podcast game talk all one word or you could uh join our discord server which is linked in the description of this podcast but yeah thank you guys so much for sharing that with me and um i feel like this this was really special because like a lot of these games hold like a really special personal spot uh, for a lot of us, and it was really kind of cool seeing like what made up these past ten years for 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 all of us. Yeah, it's been cool. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.